this morning. We're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's read from verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, and though he himself will be saved, but only as passing through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple." Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. And we know God will bless the reading of His own Word. Well, this morning we're continuing our study in the book of First Corinthians, and Paul, you will notice, describes the church as a building. He has been describing the church uh, in terms of a field, and the farmer scattering the seed. Uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow, he says. And suddenly then he changes the metaphor from agriculture to architecture. Look at verse 9 to see that transition. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, the building that he has in mind is the temple or more accurately, the tabernacle. Look at verse 16. Do you not know you are God's temple? He likens the church in the New Testament to the tabernacle or to the temple of the Old Testament. Either translation would do. And I want you to notice four things then in this passage about this building. And I want you to notice, first of all, the foundation of the building. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here Paul describes himself as a skilled master builder. The 2011 NIV and the authorized version describe him as a wise master builder. The Greek word is architectron, from which we get our English word architect. And in Paul's day, the architect not only designed the building, but he oversaw 
the construction of the building and was also involved in the more detailed craft work in finishing the building. So he was a combination of the architect, the foreman, the clerk of works, and the craftsman. All of this was involved in the work of the master builder. This is the only place where the word is used in the New Testament, but it's used in the Old Testament to describe those two men, Beziel and Aholiab, in Exodus chapter 35. You remember who were the experts given wisdom by God to make sure that the temple or the tabernacle was constructed in the way that God intended and the way that God designed. And he was given particular insight into finishing crafts to make sure that all the artifacts in the temple were completed. They had to work to a plan. They had to follow the instructions and carry out the work exactly as God had revealed when it came to the temple. But Paul goes on and he likens himself to these two master craftsmen. And he says in verse 10, according to the grace of God given me as a skilled master builder, I led a foundation. He identifies himself with Beziel and Oholiab, these craftsmen from the Old Testament. God in his grace had gifted Paul as a master builder to lay the foundation. And just like those two skilled craftsmen in the Old Testament, Paul had to work to a divine plan, and the foundation that he led was Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is led, which is Jesus Christ. Paul had to be careful to follow the plan, to build only on Jesus Christ. If the foundation, he realized, wasn't right, nothing else would be right. The foundation determined the size, the shape, and the stability of the building. And Paul says, when I led that foundation, that foundation that I led was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In all that he taught, in all that he said, in all that he revealed, in all that he accomplished through his work, that was the foundation that he led. That was the gospel foundation that he led, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You remember back in chapter 2 and verse 2, he said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the foundation that he led for the Corinthian church, that every true church has a gospel foundation. It's to be based upon Christ and his work. That when it comes to building a church, you build it on Jesus Christ, the fact that he came in to the world to save sinners. And just like the master builders of the tabernacle, Paul knew that he must follow the instructions, that he mustn't rely on human wisdom, on styles or fashions, but on what God had given and what God had revealed, that Jesus Christ is the only true foundation. And the gospel that comes through Jesus Christ is the only true foundation for any church. In 1524, a Dutchman at the age of 24 called Menno Sims was ordained as a priest in the Catholic Church. During his years as a priest, 
He searched the New Testament for a confirmation of the doctrines that the Roman church propounded. But to his great disappointment, he couldn't find those doctrines in Scripture. This led to his departure from the Catholic Church and his spending the next 25 years among the Anabaptists, rejecting the traditions of Rome. And all, all of his books and tracts that he wrote during those years began with verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid in Jesus Christ. All the traditions and uh, trends and fashions of the church are irrelevant. What matters is the foundation on which you build, the foundation for the building. Secondly, notice the materials in the building. Although Paul laid the foundation in Corinth, he acknowledges that others are building upon that foundation, and he warns his successors that they need to be very careful how they build. Look at verse 10 again. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Apollos had followed Paul in Corinth, and somebody else had followed Apollos. They were building on Paul's foundation, but he warns them that they need to be careful in the use of materials that they use to construct the church. Look at verses 12 and 13. Uh, he says, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, what did Paul intend to symbolize with these two contrasting groups of material, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw? Obviously, one set represents acceptable building materials, and the other represents unacceptable building materials. One represents that which is lasting, and one represents that which is temporary. One represents that which is earthly, and one represents that which is eternal. What does he mean? Now, some commentators come and say what he means by that is true Christians and uh, false professors. So you have Christians who are uh, wood, hay, and stubble believers. They're not genuinely converted. And you have true Christians who are gold, silver, and precious stones. Other people say, well, what one group represents, uh, one set represents is good building material, and the other represents poor building material, good works and bad works. But it seems to me that in the context of the passage, what Paul is contrasting in these two sets of materials is the doctrines of the Word of God with secular wisdom, with the wisdom of the world, with the wisdom of the Word of God. If you just turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, also in Proverbs chapter 8, but Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 13, we read these words, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than grain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, 
and nothing you desire can compare with her. So true wisdom is better than gold, silver, and precious stones. That the gold, silver, and precious stones represent divine wisdom and divine instruction. And the wood, hay, and stubble represents earthly, worldly, carnal wisdom. That's the whole context of 1 Corinthians 3. Back in verse 10, that skilled master builder, the actual word there for skilled is wise, the wise builder as the authorized version and the 2011 NIV have it. Look at verses 18 to 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So Paul says, don't build your church on worldly wisdom. You remember the Corinthians were in danger of embracing the philosophical contemporary fashions of Greek culture. They were trying to make their faith a little bit more palatable and fashionable and acceptable to the inhabitants of Corinth who were obsessed with Greek wisdom. And Paul said, don't do that. You've got to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. You've got to build your church with the wisdom that comes from the Word. Now, of course, it's much easier to build with wood, hay, and straw because they're readily available in an agricultural society. Those things you could get lying around. But for gold, silver, and precious stones, you have to dig for them. You have to mine for them. You have to extract them from the ground. Do you see what Paul is saying? In building the church, you've got to build with the right materials. You've got to build with a wisdom, with a theology, with a doctrine that comes from God. And that means that the servant of Christ must dig into the truth, extract those truths, so that when he stands before his people, he has gold, silver, and precious stones to give to them. It may take longer. It's certainly more painstaking and involves a lot more work. But if you want to build something that lasts for eternity, you've got to build with the wisdom of the Word of God. I don't believe that any church can thrive on ignorance. You can build an edifice. You can build a structure, and it can go up very quickly with wood, hay, and straw, but it won't last. And it certainly won't last into eternity itself. Roger Ellsworth, in his little commentary, says, Ours is the day of casual ministers preaching trivial sermons to careless church members. That's what Paul is warning us about in this passage. Yes, you can, you can build a church on style. You can uh, build a, a, a church on feelings. But those things will not last. You need to build a church 
with gold, silver, and precious stones, the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Look at verses 13 to 15, the warning that's given there. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only passing through the fire. The day refers to the day of judgment. And there is a judgment that is waiting, not only for all believers, I hope you realize that, that you're going to be judged, but it is there for all teachers. That's why James says in James chapter 3, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we know those who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a verse that terrifies me. Now, there's a stricter judgment waiting for myself and for James than you. But there will be a judgment. And our works, our, our teaching is going to be assessed by fire. Remember, Paul has already said that we will receive our reward according to our labor and not according to our success. And now he tells us what that labor is that the pastor has to labor in word and doctrine to extract the gold, silver, and precious stones so that the church is built with gold, silver, and precious stones, the doctrines of the Word of God, rather than worldly wisdom. Now, Paul is clearly teaching a doctrine of rewards in heaven. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only through fire. Somebody might object and say, well, look, how can you suffer loss in heaven? If you experience loss in heaven, how will it be heaven if you experience loss? Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think very helpfully, says it's, it's that disappointed look on the face of the Lord Jesus. It's, it's that absence of the well-done, good and faithful servant that it's that sense that I could have done more. I could have done better. I shouldn't have been building with wood, hay, and straw, but with that which lasts into eternity. There are rewards in heaven. I I hope you realize that. Jesus said that even a cup of water given in his name has eternal implications. Jesus spoke of laying up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. He says in Luke chapter 6, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend freely to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great in heaven. The parable of the ten miners, he talks about those receiving ten cities and those receiving five cities. In Revelation, we're told that blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. They shall rest from their labors, and their works shall follow them. But the wood, hay, and stubble is burnt up. And it's only the gold, silver, and precious stones that are ultimately rewarded. This man is obviously a Christian because he has ultimately saved himself, like one escaping through the fire. He is obviously a diligent worker because he erects a structure. He is obviously sincere because he believes himself to be serving God, but he is 
building with the wrong materials. He's using earthly wisdom, earthly things in order to advance the kingdom. And many build like that. Churches are built on the personalities of the pastors or the styles of the worship or even the architecture of the building. But better, better to be building with the wisdom that comes from God. An ill-informed congregation, a, a congregation that doesn't know its spiritual ABCs is an indictment on the ministry that they receive from the pulpit Sunday by Sunday. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know why you're a Christian. I want you to know what the Bible teaches about the church, what the Bible teaches about baptism, what the Bible teaches about election. I remember somebody coming to me on one occasion and saying, oh, I would never preach 1 Corinthians. It's too controversial. Well, I hope it's gold, silver, and precious stones because that's what will last into eternity. So the foundation led for the building, the materials used in the building. The third thing I want you to notice is the care exercised with the building. Look at verses 16 to 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Here is a very, very solemn warning. The building that Paul has in mind, remember, is the temple or the tabernacle. The word can be translated in either way. And Paul, speaking to the Corinthians collectively, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now, we have no plural form of you. You'll notice the authorized version, if you're using it, translates it ye, which is the plural form of you. I think the NIV translates it, you yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Northern Ireland, we, we don't have a problem with that. We would just say, yous are the temple of the Holy Spirit, or yousins are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to get the force of this, that when Paul says that when you assemble together as a church, you become the temple of God the dwelling place of God, to change the metaphor slightly, that we are all living stones and we come together to form the temple of God. Now, Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 6 that to the individual, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying collectively the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is present in the church when the church meets together. Now, you know that God is everywhere. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your right hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. God is everywhere. But in the temple of the Old Testament and in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, God was there in a way that he wasn't everywhere that he manifested his presence in the temple in an unusual and peculiar way. And what Paul is saying is, look, when the church comes together collectively under the new covenant, God is there in a way that he isn't everywhere else. 
that when believers meet together, he reveals his presence. That's what Jesus meant when he said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. What do you mean, Jesus? Sure, you're everywhere. No, no. When the church meets, I'm there in an unusual way when you come together as a church. So that's why you come to church. That's why you don't sit at home and watch the live stream. That's why you, you come to church, because God is in church in a way that he's not with you when you're on your own watching the service. He's not present at home in the way that he is present here. I, I, I hope you get the force of that. Now, I, not, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people, when the people come together. Now, do you remember how under the Old Testament, God's revealed presence had to be treated with care and respect? In Leviticus 15, verse 31, the death penalty was stipulated for anyone who defiled God's dwelling place. Do you remember how in 2 Samuel they were moving the Ark of the Covenant, and a man thought that the, the carriers of the Ark stumbled, and he put his hand out to steady the Ark, and God struck him dead for that irreverent act. You see, the place of God's revealed presence must be treated with reverence and respect. Now, that's the sentiment that Paul picks up in 1 Corinthians 3. Look at verse 17. If anyone, listen to this warning, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The same warnings that were applied around the temple and the tabernacle of the Old Testament apply to the church in the New. And in days when the church is treated with indifference at best and contempt at worst, Christians need to rediscover this teaching. Paul says, if you destroy God's church, listen to this, God will destroy you. You treat the church in a shabby, irreverent, contemptuous way, and you call down God's judgment on your head. People say, oh, God wouldn't do that in the New Testament. He's a God of kindness. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. Would he not? Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll come on to this passage, there were people who weren't discerning the body of the Lord. And that doesn't mean to say that they didn't have some mystical appreciation of the body of Christ and the bread. It means that they were fighting and arguing with one another. And Paul says, listen to these words, this is why some of you are sick and why some have fallen asleep. God killed them because they didn't discern the body of the Lord. That's how serious it is. Anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. You mess about with the church, and God will mess about with you. That's the bottom line. The problem in Corinth was that they weren't discerning the body of the Lord. There was divisions, and God killed them. And all I'm saying is, be very careful. Be very careful what you say about the church. I hear members of our church speaking about that church. It's not that church. It's your church. In fact, you are the church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ in this place. 
Some people come and go and take all the privileges and take none of the responsibilities. Some people treat the church like a club that you can either join or uh, opt out of. Some people have hatred and bitterness in their hearts to their fellow church members when they come to the table. I, I tell you, I would rather play with fork lightning than treat the table of the Lord in that way. Others, by their irregularity and lack of commitment, treat it shabbily. Now, what I'm saying to you is, and I hope I'm not overstating this, this is what the Bible says, Anyone who destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Listen to that warning. We have got to take care when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't mess about with the church. The foundation of the building, the materials used in the building, the care exercised with the building, the tools employed for the building. Look at verses 21 to 23. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. The church had divided into factions, remember, in Corinth around the personalities uh, of their preferred teachers. Some preferred Apollos, some preferred Paul, some preferred Peter. In conclusion to this section, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they belong to Christ. Verse 23, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. And in Christ they have been given, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. God has given you all these te teachers. Take the good from all of them. Benefit from all of them. If one is better at one area than another, play to his strength and let him take on that area. If one is better at another area, let him take that area. This is the secret of overcoming jealousy and division, to see men, preachers of the gospel, as belonging to you, that God has given them to you. They are God's gifts to you. How prone we are to put men on pedestals and elevate one over another. Paul says, all things are yours. These teachers are gifts from the ascended Christ to his church. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, that the work of Christ might be built up. True leaders have been given to you by God for you to benefit from. We all are different, different gifts, but God has given us to one another to work for his glory in this place and the extension of his kingdom. Those are the tools that are employed in the building. The foundation led for the building, it's Christ. It's the, the gospel of Christ. It's Christ's life and ministry. It's Christ crucified, as he says back in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. It's Christ crucified. That's the foundation. We can't depart from that foundation. If, if we want to be a true church, a gospel church, that's the, the foundation that we build on. The materials used for the building, gold, silver, and precious stones. Yes, you have to mine for them. You have to dig for them. You have to bring them out of the Word of God. But those are the things that will last into eternity. The care exercised with the building. The church is the temple of God. 
and we must be very careful how we treat the place of his revealed presence and the tools employed for the building. All things are yours. Amen.